Welcome to the Popular Pig Podcast, a convenient place where you can stay up to date on what's popular in the swine industry. By listening to Popular Pig, you will receive invaluable information on the latest trends, news, and research from various experts who guide the global pork industry. Popular Pig is brought to you by Swine Tech, the award-winning creators of SmartGuard and PigFlow. To learn how PigFlow can help you streamline your workforce and reduce piglet and sow deaths, visit swinetechnologies.com. Popular Pig is also made possible by the National Pork Board, Intervention, Crystal Spring, Johnsonville Foods, High Pork Genetics, Minitube, Brenneman Pork, Fibro Animal Health, Swine Robotics, Innovative Heating, and PigEquipment.com. Brought to you by American Resources. Welcome to the Popular Pig Podcast. My name is Matthew Rhoda, your host for today's episode. Joining us is Scott Stump from the FFA. How are you doing today, Scott? Oh, I'm doing wonderful, Matthew. It's a pleasure to be here visiting with you. It's exciting to talk with you about the FFA. I think there's a lot that I have to learn about what you guys do and probably even more that our listeners have to learn and really what you're doing for the next generation and the future of agriculture. So if you could just start by introducing yourself, your background, how you got involved with FFA and agriculture, uh, that'd be a great place to start today. Oh, wonderful. Easy topic to start with. Yeah. And so yeah, Scott Stemp, uh, currently serving as the CEO of National FFA and I've been in this role almost two years. Um, but I'm so excited about the fact that we're marching very quickly towards our 100th anniversary as an organization. Uh, we started in 1928. So uh, this year will be our 96th national convention. And four more years from that, uh, we'll be celebrating our 100th uh, birthday. And uh, I'll tell you, uh, an organization that began as uh, 33 uh, farm boys in Kansas City, Missouri, uh, now serves over 850,000 students annually across the nation in 9,000 wow. communities in uh, with 14,000 local teachers and a cadre of state leaders that, that work very hard to grow that next generation of leaders who will change the world. And Matthew, it, it really boils down to this, that, that we see ourselves and our purpose and our place and our, our work that we do is, is about growing the talent uh, for the industry of agriculture. And as you know, there's a lot of things changing out there. And so the work ahead of us will continue to be uh, strong as we work to ensure that we are relevant and, and aligned and uh, working towards that industry. You know, my background, uh, I grew up in northern, northeastern Indiana. My father was an agriculture educator. My mom was my 4-H uh, club leader. So uh, I got it uh, from both sides. And so I've been uh, in this space for quite a while. Went to Purdue University in biochemical agricultural engineering. Thought that uh, that new major that was just starting that year, and uh, I won't say the year long ago, <clears throat> but uh, spent a year as a state FFA officer out in classrooms and found that my purpose was really developing people or, or building systems that build people. And I've uh, been blessed to spend the past 30 years doing it. Is a lot of that inspiration from your parents and your childhood, or is that more founded in college and early career? Yeah, it, uh, from parents and then the experiences that I had in FFA and agriculture education and 4-H, uh, the being out there, trying out uh, different jobs. Uh, you know, in FFA and ag education, we uh, do ask that each of our students have an out-of-classroom experience. And so I spent a summer uh, milking dairy cows uh, morning and night uh, at the barn by five. And, you know, the roads in northern Indiana are pretty quiet at 430 in the morning. But, uh, uh, yeah, get me out of trouble that summer. I have to say that. So gives uh, you a lot you, of time to think. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. But then, you know, trying on uh, speaking in front of an audience, uh, you know, uh, nervous at first. Yes. But then after about the 10th time and getting feedback and growing all the way along, 
it's those experiences that really help shape uh, and set our students up for success, whatever happens after high school. Yeah, I always say, I think one of the greatest things that could happen in this world is for more people to be comfortable with public speaking. If more people share their experiences, their story and what they've learned, I think we could just learn so much from individuals who are just afraid to step up there and talk about it. So a couple of things I'd like to do before we get started is to learn a little bit more about you. So one question would be, what's something unique about yourself that most people in agriculture may not know? Oh, that I was, I loved uh, being in musicals in high school and, uh, you know, uh, contemplate the Broadway uh, run at some point, but it never really happened for me. Closest I get is every Sunday morning singing, uh, helping lead worship at our little church in Stone when I'm back. So, so a couple uh, rapid fire questions. Uh, what D1 college do you root for? Oh, absolutely. Purdue University all the way. Boilermakers, boiler up. What's your go-to karaoke song? Oh, go-to karaoke song. Uh, it would have to be something of the Eagles, and I would narrow it in to Seven Bridges Road. I just love the harmony song. What, uh, what's your favorite movie or actor, or uh, what's your least favorite movie or actor? I'll let you go on either end of the poll there. <laughs> Thank you for that. You know, the, uh, uh, the favorite movie, absolutely Independence Day. Uh, just love the... Uh, uh, the speech of reclaiming uh, our independence as a, as a world. And uh, yeah, just lots of humor, but also just to, yeah, good thoughts and things throughout. So. That was a great speech for a movie, wasn't it? It was. It was. It was. Uh, favorite food? Favorite food? Uh, you know, uh, for the past 20 years, we've been in Colorado raising beef, a nice little, you know, commercial crossbed operation uh, and our freezer. And I had them on Monday night uh, when I was out there. Uh, but a good ribeye steak is uh, something you just can't live without. And then what is the top of your bucket list for travel? Top of the bucket. Well, and I do have to add in uh, that the, with the ribeye steak favorite food, it would actually be a close second uh, bacon. Uh, that is bacon, the one thing yep. that actually, yes, it is a breakfast food, but it goes with every meal and it can just be as a snack. Uh, and especially chocolate covered bacon that some of the restaurants in Colorado Springs that have started serving it. Yeah. So close, close second there. Um, Travel bucket list. Uh, I do want to go back to Japan and spend some more time. I had the opportunity when I was working long ago with the National FA officers uh, who used to go to Japan as a part of their international experience, part of their original training and development. And mm-hmm. so got to spend time there. And uh, yeah, the, the, the people, the agriculture, the, um, yeah, the, the culture is just uh, tremendous. And I, I would love to go spend a bit more time. I've heard that from so many people that the Japanese uh, culture is just very kind, respectful. Everything's real clean, beautiful. So that that's up there for me as well. Well, when you fit that many people onto that small of a land space and most of its mountains, uh, you have to figure out how to get along. And they've done it. Absolutely. So according to FFA.org, FFA's vision is to grow the next generation of leaders who will change the world. Can you tell us a bit about FFA in general? And how FFA is making that vision a reality? Yeah, I'd love to. Uh, you know, FFA, uh, up until this year, we've served 7th grade through 12th grade students. So mainly in that high school environment. At times in our past, we've had a, a wider swath of students going into their post-secondary experiences. And uh, for the past decade, we've really focused in on that 7th through 12th grade range. I uh, do know that our delegates at convention last fall expanded our options for membership down to 5th grade because the federal law that helps in part support 
local programs uh, also recently changed uh, when it was reauthorized in 2018 to go as low as fifth grade. And so we'll be opening up to start students thinking about their career paths in agriculture earlier. And the exciting part is there is so much to share with them. So what what our model is, students begin kind of in that space of career exploration, being exposed to the wide range of uh, whether it's the animal systems pathway that uh, you know includes all of the uh, protein uh, production side of it, but along with that, all of the small animal care and management that is, is a growing industry across the nation, to plant systems where it's everything from horticulture to uh, row crops. And so you've got that full gamut of uh, production going on there. And then we look within the agribusiness system, the food products and processing, and the ag tech, uh, and really saying, how do we best uh, serve uh, the community and grill? So really getting students interested in that, and then having them test and experience. And our motto is uh, learning to do, doing to learn, earning to live, and living to serve. And so that second part of the doing to learn is critical to the model, and it's different than any other educational system model that's out there. Uh, we don't just get the theory in the classroom. Uh, students, yes, have a teacher. It is school-based. They're learning the concepts uh, in the classroom and with applied learning in labs that uh, are at school, but they're also taking that learning out into practical environments and farms and ranches and uh, businesses across this nation and applying those skills and getting in the moment feedback that truly allows them to be ready uh, to answer some really hard questions. And, and I will tell you, Matthew, the, uh, the questions that we're going to have to answer relative to um, how we produce food, how we engage with consumers. Uh, how we uh, yeah, feed another billion people in the next, uh, uh, at this point, seven years, uh, we've got some big questions. And, and our task is to get young people ready to do that. And so that's why we're excited to have almost uh, a million students that each year we get to move farther along that continuum uh, to be ready to be the next generation of leaders who are going to change the world. And we really need more and more young individuals getting involved in agriculture. And so I guess a couple of questions is, um, for individuals that aren't connected to agriculture, who maybe live in town in a city, how easy it, is it for them to be a part of FFA? And the second part to this would be, do you have any idea how many individuals who participate in FFA go on to be involved in an agricultural career, um, uh, beyond great two, college? Great two questions. Uh, take the first one, uh, you know, uh, I have a friend that always says, well, if you eat, you're, you're at least interested in agriculture because yeah. you can yeah. both yourself. Yeah. Everyone has a vested interest. And oh, the other part that we know is we don't have enough students in our traditional rural areas where we're pulling and historically have gathered students from to meet the needs of a growing industry that is expanding rapidly, uh, into, uh, some bigger problems that need to be solved. And so, we know that talent is everywhere, but opportunity is not. And so I was just in uh, New York the second week of, uh, yeah, second week of, the uh, third week of February, now right before FFA week, and at a chartering ceremony. And uh, the state of New York and Cornell University specifically and their outreach side are actively uh, engaged in planting new programs in each of the boroughs of New York. So it was midtown Manhattan, not far from Times Square. Uh, at the Cornell remote office where four new chapters came in and we gave them jackets for the first time and had great conversations about what their hopes and dreams are. And, and you know, in New York City, uh, the mayor just put in a new position for uh, urban agriculture. And as they start expanding access to fresh fruits and vegetables, 
Yes, it is not the traditional agriculture that we think of, but absolutely uh, being in that business of, uh, of growing plants and animals uh, for a purpose uh, is the industry that we're a part of. And so really taking agriculture to those areas, uh, we're going to see some growth over the next few years in that space. Uh, and it's important because students that are interested there bring a different perspective to the conversation of how do we feed uh, a growing planet sustainably. Yeah. So lots of fun there. Uh, as far as knowing exactly how many go into uh, specific uh, occupations after the uh, um, FFA experience, no, I don't have that data today, but we gotcha. are on path as a part of our strategic plan work to get that data. And we're working with a, a research company that uh, an entity that has great uh, connections to the state longitudinal data systems, like in Texas, where you can take and find out after a student took this series of courses in high school, where are they at in the labor market right now? Now, I will tell you the pain point for me in all of this, Matthew. And so your listeners, just give them a fun thing to uh, yeah, get mad at uh, the, the politicians or the federal government about. Uh, let's take, for instance, a uh, Bex hybrid, uh, very common here in Indiana and across the country, big, uh, you know, supporter. Of yeah, I've been there. there. It's pretty cool. Yeah. And so, but you would think that would be an agricultural company. But according to the Department of Labor, Bex is a manufacturer. And so the labor market information uh, is rooted in, you know, a 70, 80 year ago way of doing business. And, uh, you know, Agland Co-op that used to be in Northern Colorado also was listed as a, a manufacturer, but uh, they were the central point of sprayers that would go out across the fields. They were doing all of the nutrient uh, placement. They were handling all of the feeds, going to all of our hog operations and dairy operations across the state. Uh, and so uh, to say uh, that our students go into uh, an ag field, it becomes a little tougher to dissect yeah. because of a systemic issue in our labor information system. Well, even if someone was go, let's say, work for uh, Compere Financial, let's say, and they're an ag lender, um, if they grew up in agriculture, row crop, decided to become an ag lender, to me, that's staying in agriculture. It's right. supporting ag. Robo Bank, Farm Credit, all of yeah. those, yeah, would be seen differently by the system. Uh, and so we're going to have to tease out uh, the different designations for jobs uh, to help people understand that, no, these students are absolutely going on. And whether they go directly into a quote unquote agricultural occupation, we've created then an informed consumer and an informed advocate uh, to be out there working actively for the industry of agriculture. So I think we win either way. So it's almost 100 years, which is really exciting for you guys. And I'm sure that with that comes the question quite often, what does the next hundred years look like? <laughs> Before we go into that, I'm going to come back to it. I'd love for you to share a story or two about your journey and your role in that 100 years. And this can be anything, something inspirational, something funny. Just what are a couple of things that just come to mind when you reflect and get nostalgic about the last 20, 30 years. Yeah. Well, my uh, first national convention uh, would have been in Kansas City, Missouri in 1981. And uh, I just remember uh, stepping into an arena and, you know, I uh, Stroh, Indiana, uh, yeah, Prairie Heights High School, uh, about 125 students per grade. So kind of a mid-sized uh, high school. Uh, and so we had a pretty good chapter with, you know, uh, 50, 60 students that were actively participating, but then to be placed into an environment where you have 8,000, 9,000 students that are 
for all intents and purposes, wearing the exact same thing you are. And that our jacket has become iconic with, uh, and it becomes the norming and, and that place that to belong because, uh, um, yeah, you're not worried about uh, having the, the best other clothes or and making the best appearance. It is that that's what you look like and you wear. So to join in, in a place where agriculture and the future of youth was the top topic, uh, such cool experience. Yeah. Really kind of uh, the, the energy in that room is just uh, amazing. Now, you know, our convention has grown at that point. When I first went, we were probably at about 25 to 30,000 students and teachers and other guests attending. Last fall, we had 69, just over 69,000 individuals gather here in Indianapolis to focus on agriculture and the future of agriculture and the hopes and dreams of students wanting to walk in that path, which to me is exciting of uh, introducing them through our expo to the latest and greatest uh, technology that's happening uh, in the industry and places where they can plug in and, and be a part of that future. So, uh, yeah, so for me, the, the story begins like so many others with sitting uh, at a national convention session going, oh, this is so much bigger than I imagined it would be. Yeah, for sure. So 100 years, it's almost impossible to say what the next hundred is going to look like. Because when we look back to the yeah 1920s, <clears throat> Very different world. What do you think it's going to look like? And what is your guys' strategic plan for how we approach that next century? Yeah, and we're actually taking a, a bit of a, a, a short run with this strategic plan to get us ready to boldly enter that next 100 years. And uh, I tell you, kind of it, when the, we pulled the task force and our board together to give the thought to this, uh, there's a lot of uncertainty. And this would have been the fall of 2021. So we're just coming out of COVID, had no idea that uh, the Russia uh, would be invading Ukraine, all of the other input factors that, as you know, are so uh, difficult, both from seed and as well as fertilizers. Um, so yes, uh, crystal ball can't be clear. But what we know is that we must continually evolve. And we've got to take a serious look at some of the, the programs and experiences that we offer to ensure that they are aligned, not just to today's environment of agriculture, but the future. Think about a, a student starting as a uh, fifth grader now, or even a seventh grader. Uh, you know, they've got six years of school, of high school left. Most of them will go on for a post-secondary experience. It's either an apprenticeship, two-year, four-year. They might go military. So you're talking 10 years on the horizon before that student that we've introduced to agriculture actually steps into the workforce. We've got to get better at predicting and getting students excited about those evolving trends. Uh, you know, one of those being, um, you know, data science and yeah. helping students understand that when we look at um, production facilities, whether that be a, a swine facility on the Eastern Plains of Colorado or a cattle feedlot uh, on the Western Plains of Nebraska, uh, our employees, our owners are having to dig into data in different ways than they ever have before because the margins are so small. And so the only way to increase that margin is to get really efficient uh, and really understand that data. So how are we equipping students in that space? I think would be a good example. The big game I, of money ball. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, uh, you know, most of the old ranchers in my area of Northeastern Colorado, yeah, they would love for somebody to come and help them figure that data out. And so, uh, but how do we get young people equipped to, to go into that space? The part of that too is though that we will always remain rooted in tradition because what we've done for a hundred years, the core of it has been successful. How do we then make sure that we're equipping uh, in addition to rooting in tradition, 
but equipping our students for the future and doing that better as we go. You know, the second area is where you started uh, engaging um, you know, students that have never been invited into agriculture before and uh, both inviting them in from a talent basis to get in the talent pipeline. If they're from New York or Orlando or uh, Oakland, California, uh, there's individuals there that have uh, capacities and skills and competencies and, and uh, uh, thought processes that absolutely need to be engaged in agriculture. How, how do we invite them in and whether or not they choose to actually go into that career they go back to their community, a better informed consumer. And, uh, you know, especially as we look at some of the ballot measures that have come out recently uh, uh, that really are detrimental to the uh, livestock production industry. And I just speak on behalf of Colorado with one in the past couple of years. Uh, we need individuals that truly understand uh, the, the value of that uh, food creation process and are, are willing to uh, stick up for it. The And so engaging underrepresented marginalized populations, making sure that everyone has a sense of belonging and that all of our students are ready to work in a much more diverse world than, you know, uh, I grew up in, than you grew up in. Uh, yeah. We're rapidly uh, changing. And so uh, making sure that our students are ready for that. The third one then is our system. You know, we're delivered through uh, state offices, mainly in departments of education or departments of agriculture, uh, and then down to a local level with teachers and classrooms across this country. And uh, Matthew, I'll tell you that the, uh, COVID was hard on that system, and we've lost uh, a lot of our state leaders that have turned over, and so we have brand new ones. And so how are we equipping them to succeed so that as we go into that next 100 years, we have a strong system of delivery that allows us not just to serve the current numbers, but also the expanding numbers, because we're growing. And that's an exciting thing, but it also stresses the system. And so we've got to make investments in that infrastructure uh, to ensure that we have the capability to keep delivering on that promise. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's really cool. You guys got quite the handful of things that you guys are trying to accomplish. <laughs> it keeps us busy and out of trouble. Absolutely. Well, it keeps it fun too. And I guess when you look at everything you're doing and the experiences, what are some of the greatest potential areas of growth based on the emerging trends in ag, uh, specifically the swine industry, what you guys yeah. are seeing? Oh, and we have spent the past year actually doing a competency analysis across all of the things that we deliver and looking for gaps of, uh, you know, because our competencies follow uh, in large part the occupational codes of the federal government, which don't change but every 10 years. So uh, we've got to become more, more nimble in this. And so we did listening sessions uh, with uh, business and industry leaders across the nation, and we'll continue that work in this year ahead. Uh, and then also worked with our sponsors board, which is made up of the uh, you know, 35 uh, companies, uh, corporate leaders that come alongside us every year and provide both financial, but also Intel support. Uh, and a couple things uh, really boiled to the top of that conversation. And data science was the big one that we've already talked about, because as we look at, uh, and, you know, we've, I would say that, uh, yeah, looking at uh, EPDs, uh, you know, across the spectrum when it comes to uh, swine production, uh, uh, any kind of livestock production, uh, really was the tool that we've used in the past. And that really is a, a data science piece that we never called data science, but it was the path to really tease out the best traits in animals that could then allow for a more productive use uh, at the end of the day. That's going to get magnified dramatically with the next one, which is artificial intelligence. And as we look at applications of AI in agriculture, the door is wide open. And uh, you know, specifically, uh, when you start thinking about the, the management of the uh, production of swine from, uh, you know, the, uh, the, the, the point of conception all the way through the point of 
harvest, uh, there are lots of opportunities. And especially when you then move beyond that into the point of consumption of that full food supply chain, how are we tracing and becoming more nimble as an industry in providing the right amount of product at the right time so that we don't have large swings uh, up and down in prices, but that we get a consistency uh, of yeah. growth in that market. The other is biosecurity. You think about the, uh, the, the facilities that uh, your members have, all you know, uh, pork producers have all across the, the nation, and uh, whether it be the uh, you know, viruses uh, that are potential, uh, but there's a whole biosecurity risk factor that is going to be influenced by AI. It's going to be influenced by new technology that's uh, sniffing within each of the rooms and collecting data to, again, increase that production efficiency as we move forward. Um, the other one, uh, especially uh, uh, autonomous systems, are the other piece that we're being asked by uh, like the uh, uh, association of equipment dealers and the, uh, the manufacturers to then say, how are we prepping the next talent pool that's going to be able to be the industrial maintenance techs that are going to uh, handle that. And you think uh, even in the, some of the hog barns that are out there that used to be pretty simple, uh, now have a full suite of automatic controls. And we've got to have the talent that's ready to step in from a skilled trades basis and be able to quickly uh, repair uh, and, and improve those systems as they move along. Understood. And then when you see technology and the role it's playing and how things are changing because of it, how do you think that is going to impact the opportunities, the career opportunities for some of these kids when we look at the swine industry and other areas of agriculture? Yeah. On our website, uh, we, on FFA.org, there's a tool called Ag Explorer that we've had okay. for uh, quite a time that lays out uh, kind of the core career areas within the industry of agriculture. And uh, it was informed by agcareers.com. And in that, we just added... So brand new Ag Explorer 2.0 launches uh, here by the end of this first quarter that will have 70 new careers. So what it's doing is it's causing us to look out and say, what are those new spaces? Many of them are in that technology space. And so uh, in addition to adding the 70 careers, we added three new highlight tiles that kind of bucket those careers. One of them being ag technology, one of them being sustainability, which is the other one that is going to drive much of our future of how do we do this in a way uh, that uh, consumers are going to go, absolutely. Now, yeah. This is right for the planet, right for us as uh, uh, humans and uh, able to move this forward. The third tile we added was skilled trades, uh, because from the beginning, you know, most students early on in agriculture education were meant to go directly back to a farm or ranch. That was the yeah. point of high school education. Fair. You did not go on to post-secondary. Now we know many of the roles require some step after high school. And a lot of those roles are in a one-year certificate or a two-year associate's degree program that immediately allow that, that student to end up in a work environment that has great potential. And so embracing kind of that full spectrum of where the needs are at and encouraging and uh, guiding students with good information of where the opportunities are. Yeah, I mean, the, when we look at agriculture and something that supports it, the future for electrician apprentices plumbing hvac hvac Branding, like yeah Air it is all of those pieces. a lot of these producers have individuals they've had working with them for a long time that are basically the swiss army knife right they can do it all and they're about to retire and finding those individuals is really hard so i think we're going to see a real boom in in compensation in some of those trades because we need them and there's Absolutely. just not enough people in them 
Absolutely. I have a good friend uh, who used to work for um, the Global Cold Chain Alliance. Uh, he's now with the uh, International Fertilizer Institute. And, uh, you know, his whole role was figuring out how to get product from production and ultimately harvest to the consumer, which requires this whole system of refrigerated warehouses all across the United States. And they constantly do not have enough individuals that are able to go in and repair uh, whether it be the moving trucks or the uh, warehouses and the distribution sites. So, uh, yes, across that full footprint, uh, what's making it hard, though, and I'll tell you, uh, part of our struggle, and, and I've had individuals ask me over the past year and a half, okay, well, what is ag and what is not ag? And, yeah, it, the line is getting blurred a bit. It is. Very As blurred. As we look at the full food value chain, um, yeah, there, there's a lot of roles that are now supporting the industry that didn't necessarily specifically before. And how do we make sure students are connected to them? Well, a lot of industries are trying to cut out the middleman. And it's like the ag industry started with no middleman. <laughs> it basically built in a ton of them. So it's Absolutely. in order to feed the world, we've needed so many uh, segments of production to exist for us to do it sustainably, efficiently, and and humanely. And um it's exciting where it's all headed. Now, FFA has been such a big component of developing young leaders. Um, from your side of it, what are you doing to develop strong leaders within uh, those that are leading the FFA side of things? And what golden nugget might you have to share with listeners uh, from, from some aspect of your life? Oh, appreciate that. Uh, so uh, one thing we haven't talked about yet, we talked about the vision early on. Yeah. Um, but for the past 30 years, we've been working under the mission of developing the potential of students for leadership, personal growth, and career success through agricultural education. And so that notion of developing potential uh, through the wonderful ability, and you know, our teachers make all the difference. Local teachers are the core of all of this. Uh, they uh, consistently across the nation look at a student and find things that that student had no idea that they could do. and pull that potential out of them into whether it is speaking, whether it is learning parliamentary procedure and leading a meeting, whether that is uh, doing uh, you know, a competitive event and demonstrating their competencies in livestock evaluation or uh, meats uh, evaluation. Uh, across the full spectrum, it goes back to the only way that potential gets developed is back to our motto of doing to learn. Because when a student does something and either finds immediate success or fails either way by the feedback given by the teacher, by the judges, by all of those involved, uh, the, the caring adults around them, uh, business and industry leaders that are coaching and pouring uh, good advice into them, students grow. And over that time period, as they continue to grow and get, gain capacity, I believe it creates in them this seeking for constant learning, which I don't know an employer in the, the world who would not want someone that right. one, comes in and has already tried things, has already had feedback, so is willing to take coaching and feedback, um, has tried things on their own, and so has to be an inherent problem solver, and is curious about where they can contribute and serve in an organization. And so uh, that, to me, is the special sauce of what we do. We also have uh, you know, an officer structure where students are elected locally as chapter officers. Those chapter officers then look up to the regional or state officers. Those regional and state officers look up to our national elected officers. And so we have this peer group 
of leaders that are constantly pushing each other and engaging in growth uh, by learning together what it means to lead uh, an organization of this side. So let's growth there. I, I would say that the one nugget of advice is what I gave. I was just in Nebraska at their national FFA convention or their state FFA convention in Lincoln uh, last Thursday and Friday. They had over 7,000 students, teachers, and other adults uh, uh, in the Pinnacle Bank Arena. Largest convention they've ever had. They have their largest membership with over 11,000 students in the Nebraska FFA. So what I told the convention wow. hall on Friday morning or Friday afternoon was uh, continue saying yes. Just say yes. When your teacher comes to you and says, you should try this. And you go, no, no, I don't do that. That's kind of scary. Or no, I don't know enough about it. Uh, for the students, it is saying yes, because only in saying yes to those experiences does the magic of FFA happen. At the same time, to all those listeners that uh, uh, you know are supporters uh, locally or at the state level, first, thank you, uh, but continue saying yes. Uh, and, in, and, and in addition to whether it be financial support, uh, our, our local chapters need your time because you're the experts in the industry. And being that voice to them of what you're looking for in talent uh, and helping guide those programs in the uh, content and that, but of course, we're going to the structure that they're offering and the experiences they're offering. Absolutely, continue to say yes to uh, help them grow and uh, do that great work with students. Well, we really appreciate you being a guest on the Popular Pig Podcast and sharing what's happening at FFA and your story, your journey, and uh, couldn't be more grateful. All right. Well, Matthew, thank you very much for the time today. And if anybody has any other questions, all they need to do is go to FFA.org and uh, they can dive into the full current space uh, of FFA and agriculture education. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Popular Pig. We aspire to learn and grow together through the experience and wisdom shared by our esteemed guests. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends and colleagues within the swine industry. For more information, please go to popularpig.com to receive updates when new episodes are available. Popular Pig is brought to you by Swine Tech, the award-winning creators of SmartGuard and PigFlow. To learn how PigFlow can help you streamline your workforce and reduce piglet and sow deaths, visit swinetechnologies.com.